Welcome to The People Show with Big Nazar and Randeep Janda. What is happening? It is The People Show. No Big Nazar, Randeep Janda, and Satyar Shah. Yes, I am back from vacation for a couple of weeks hanging out. Well, my man ran deep on the People Show. What's happening, Randy? Welcome back, Sat. How you feeling, man? Thanks, I feel man. like I'm the vet all of a sudden because I've been here for a, a whole three days. Yes, yes. Nice you, to have you back. Yeah, man. Thank you. And you've been. Uh, I, I want to ask you about. I didn't ask you about Europe off okay. air because I wanted to ask it on air. I know you talked about it before. Yeah, uh, yeah. You were on air last week, but I want to get into that stuff. We have a lot to get to today. Absolutely. Massive show coming up. I mean, just because it's my first day back, we're not taking it easy today. We'll talk about some Canuck stuff coming up and yep. uh, Chris Peters. We'll talk some prospects with him. The Halinka is going on. The World Juniors, which got canceled this past past uh, winter, is now coming up tomorrow. Uh, so that's going on. We'll talk to Chris Peters about Canucks prospects playing at the World Juniors, the, the Ivan Halinka. Look ahead to the 2023 NHL entry draft. Emery Hunt is jumping in at 1.30. We'll do some NFL talk with him. Don Taylor at 2.30. Some BC Lions talk. 6-1, and one, Nathan Rourke going off. He's going ham. The, the Blue Jays won with a lot of controversy as well with their victory, and we'll talk about the Premier League and much, much more coming up today. We got a lot in store, like yeah. a lot, lots, but Sal, you know what they want. What? You know what the people want. What? What? You know what Canucks fans want. No. Are we doing this? They want the JT Miller uh, update. They're itching for a JT Miller update. What you got, man? Are you serious? Is that what people want already? The Is tweets, that what they want? The text, you name it, All right. people are asking. So what Dun- do you got for us? Dunbar Lumber, 650-650, uh, text message inbox. Let us know. Do you really want a JT Miller update? I-, I want to avoid it a little bit. Do I have to do it right off the bat? Jordan and Langley coming in with Miller time. <sighs> really? Right off the, the bat. This I just got back. Show. I, just, I just had two and a half weeks off. It was nice. No, like, ease into it. No, like, hey, let's talk about something else first. No, like, how was your time off? We'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 is JT Miller? This reminds me of what uh, Ricci was talking about uh, uh, a few weeks back. He went to a um, gender reveal party. Yeah, and uh, the father who was about to have a baby, and the gender was revealed, was more interested in what's happening with JT Miller than the gender of the baby he his wife and they're about to have together. That's how interested he it was. It wasn't in JT boy Miller. or girl. It was trade or are you going to hold on? Yeah, to <laughs> trade or hold. What's happening with JT Miller? So this is what I feel like already. I mean. I've been here for like five minutes, and we want to hear about JT Miller. Okay, uh, let's do the JT Miller thing first. Uh, Bo, right. we'll talk about Bo as well coming up in a second. Uh, as far as, and yes, I see Dalvir seeing Lakira Mackey talk. Yes, lots of World Juniors talk coming up. Chris Peters, like we mentioned. We have lots of that coming up on the show. So on JT Miller, you know what's changed? Nothing. Can that be the end of the update? No, okay. I, I'll delve into it a bit All more. Right. Give, yeah. give us a few more words than that. Okay. Not much has been going on with JT because it's been quiet. The one thing I would I would reiterate, and I've asked again before coming on, I'm, I, I did my homework before coming back to the show and seeing what's going on, on out there. And it was like, hey, nothing's close one way or another on JT. But the points that were reiterated to me were the Canucks still wants a premium asset. If they're moving him, yes, they'd love to get a defenseman. doesn't have to be a defenseman. It could be a forward that's a really talented prospect. Somebody they feel can be a difference maker. That still is something they really want in the JT Miller thing. Would they sign him? Yes. But the numbers they have in front of JT is nowhere near what he wants. And the Canucks, as my understanding goes, are not willing to go over what they're kind of offering already, which is something in that low 40 million range maybe. They're not willing to go above that. Can JT bend and accept that? Maybe then he would do a deal. Ultimately... We'll see what happens. But this notion that the Canucks can't get what they got at the deadline, and what do we talk about at the deadline, Randy? 
It was Heedle, yep. a first-round pick potentially, and Lundquist, the rumored offer by the Rangers. Sure. So the, that was kind of the talk of what was going on with JT at the time. If you fast-forward to where they are today, can they still get a good prospect like Lundquist and a first-round pick for JT? Probably. So I don't, I don't think the equations change much. I, I know people get upset about things and you know they feel like the sky is falling, but not much going on with JT. They can still probably get what they got offered at the deadline as the season goes on if they want to move JT. They prefer to get a really good asset. They'd love to get one really good player back in return. That's what they would love to get if they're moving JT. And I think with a lot of this, you know, there's been this conversation of, all right, do you hold or you trade, right? Kind of, the, it's, it's been the discussion. But there's another element of this as well, Sat, where timing. I think for a lot of people, it's, yeah. hey, you could probably get that asset. You could probably, look at the Giroud deal at the trade deadline. Right? You know, got a decent return for a player that had a no trade clause, mm-hmm. who had control of the situation. You don't have that with JT. Yeah. My only issue with that is, man, you're taking a risk. Like, yeah. That, that's where I, I draw the line to say that's one heck of a, a risk to take at this point in your organization's build. But in terms of price, if fully healthy, mm-hmm. if ready to go, yeah, the price shouldn't change too much at all, if at all. Yes. No, I mean, of course. And, you know, I see Marcus and Gibson's mentioned this, and this is something that I've maintained for a long time. They prefer to get JT at a team-friendly deal. If they can, they would love to get him signed to a team-friendly contract. But he has to play ball with that. Yeah. Does that change? And I, and I think what I'm really interested in seeing Grand Deep is what happens when training camp rolls around. I'm not expecting a JT trade in August. I'm not expecting it now. What happens around training camp? What happens as the preseason goes on there? And especially with his contract situation, where they are with him on the team and all those sort of things. As much as the Canucks talk about potentially, you know, being okay to have him to the deadline and then making a decision, that's the worst case scenario. The Canucks don't want to let him go for nothing. If they have to trade him while they're in a playoff spot at the deadline, that's the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. And I think they'd still trade him. Like my my sense is there's a less than 10% chance that they'd let him walk for nothing. Like I, I just don't see that being in the cards. In this market, it would be a, a huge change though, right? Let's just say they're competitive Yeah, at the trade deadline. The power of a move like that, where you're saying, hey, we understand. Like we've seen it in, you know, Kevin Shattenkirk's a classic example. St. Louis did that when they're in a playoff spot. I go to other sports. The Yankees did that with Heraldis Chapman and Andrew Miller. But how often do you see that? Especially in Vancouver. Yeah. Especially in a Canadian market. It's a tough, tough decision to make. So I'm with you in the sense that I don't even know if I want the team to be in that position. Because once you get that late in the game, and you have to make a tough decision like that, when you potentially have playoff revenue in the back of your mind, we know how that story plays out. I get it. No, I, I understand that. But it's a tough decision to make. It is. And I, I, it's now, an important one. I don't see it getting to that point. I, I don't see it at this stage. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens, obviously, right? But I think the sense with the team has always been the same thing. If they're trading him, they want something decent back in return. If they get to a point where they realize they have to trade him and get whatever they can, at that point, I think they'll take maybe 75 cents on the dollar, or they'll take the type of offers that are out there, which is a traditional trade deadline type of package. It'll be a first-round pick. It'll be a decent prospect, but it's not going to be the earth chain, the, the, the life-changing type of trade you're looking for. And the Canucks, to their credit, I think, are trying to hold out to see if they can get that difference-making type of player back in return one way or another in a JT Miller trade. Because if you can't, then you'll trade them for the type of deal that's out there. Because 
the equivalent of a good prospect and a, and a late first round pick yep. is always going to be out there. This notion, this thought, I see people mentioning, I see it on, on social media and this whole thought of, you know, the Canucks, uh, you know, uh, they're not going to be able to get a ton for JT anymore. Do we think he's not getting a first round pick at the deadline if that's the case? I'm not saying it's going to get to the point, but if we get to the trade deadline, Randy, are you telling me that you're not getting at least a good prospect and a first round pick for JT Miller? Nick Foligno went for a first round. Yeah, no, if, if he's making it to the trade deadline and he's fully healthy and having a pretty decent season, you're going to get something substantial, right? Yes. And, and the fact is, the sample size and the number of teams that were maybe interested earlier this summer, the number might dwindle a little bit, right? You might have one to three competitors or, or contenders really bidding, but the fact is, they're probably going to be more des- desperate as well. Yeah. And I understand there's... The, the potential where a Patrick Kane or other players of high quality might be available. At the, you, know, you still do have a younger player in JT Miller than some of those guys. Those, those are, mm-hmm. There is going to be an opportunity to strike. So my point is, ideally in the summer, when a lot of teams had a bunch of cap space to deal with, that might have been a good time to make the deal. But the offers in front of you are the offers in front yeah. of you. Are you in a position at the trade deadline, if he is healthy, if he's ready to go, you might have one or two desperate teams, and that's all it takes. That's all it takes. That is, that is all all it takes. And one team I'd be thinking about, a team that has a few things the Canucks would want, a team that just won a Stanley Cup that is in need of forward, and that is the Colorado Avalanche. Kadri looks to be signing with the Islanders, or or at least that seems to be where all things are leading, right? Lou's, uh, Lou Lamarillo's cloak of secrecy is, yes. is thrown all over the situation. Yes. It seems like it's going to happen that uh, way. A lot of top players have signed. Not a lot of destinations, you know, have massive openings. There's Evan Rodriguez. There's Phil Kessel. There are a couple of those guys kind of hanging around in a free agent market. But is that really what Colorado is going to be out after? Maybe. I mean, but that's a team I look at because they have... I mean, they have Devin Tabes, who I think Vancouver would maybe listen to. They have Bourne Byram, who I think they would definitely listen to. I mean, even a guy like Alex Newhook, even if, okay, let, let's just say for argument's sake, you're not getting the offers you want. Would you take Alex Newhook in a, in a late first, potentially, if you're not getting the things that you are looking to get? So, so I yeah. look at it and say, you're still getting a first-round pick for JT if you want to trade him. You're still getting the equivalent of what was being offered at the deadline. The question is, do you get more than that? And as far as I know, nothing's changed otherwise. I, I think... The the contract that Huberto signed and ultimately the contract that Kadri is signing, I think, um, could have a big impact on where JT wants to see things go. Huberto's contract kicks in when he's 30. JT's new contract yep. is going to kick in when he's 30. Now, I'm not saying they're the same class of player. Huberto's far outproduced JT the past few years and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, how big is that difference? That man's getting 80-some million. It's hard to make the argument that JT's worth half of what Hubert will sign for. No, and especially if you have, if you're Brian Bartlett, if you're JT Miller, and you look at that deal and say, hey, you know what? Maybe that number's 50. Yes. Maybe that number's 55. Is there one team across the league that would be willing to give you that? All it took was the Calgary Flames to say, we're going to trade for this guy, and we need a franchise player. And you can argue whatever you want about Jonathan Huberto. He was number two in Florida behind Sasha Barkov, but the Calgary Flames see this guy and say, he's our franchise player. All it takes is one team to deem you that, that yeah. one you know, A or one B option. So I think you look at that deal, if you're JT Miller and you're his agent, you're saying, it's possible. Yes. You're not the same level of player, I get it. You know, When you talk about Huberto, he's what, a top two or three passer in the league. That's mm-hmm. how good he is. But when we're talking about that overall valuation, if anything, it emboldens the player a little bit more to say, I might not get 84, 
but I should be in a position to get 45, 50. It yeah. probably probably pushes your number up a little bit more, your expectation anyways. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, we'll see where those discussions go. And I still think Vancouver, like Rutherford himself has said, they like to sign JT. But right now, they're very far apart, and that has to change. So we'll see what happens uh, with him. And that is your JT Miller update. That's your JT Miller update. People wanted to hear about the JT Miller update. Uh, Greg and Cedar Cottage. There are other sports out there. How about Nathan Work? That's coming up. We have Don Taylor joining us, too. We'll talk about the BC Lions. We have Nathan Work discussions coming up. We have NFL talk coming up. Uh, we'll talk about the Blue Jays as well. Premier League started. Uh, a lot of baseball stuff going on as well, so we'll get to all that stuff as as the show goes on. Here. We got a four-hour show today, we folks. Four we hours. got a lot of things to talk about and a lot of time to talk yes. about. Yes. So... Uh, do you want to do the bow thing here? Or should we do it later? Do it Let's here. Do it here. All right. All right. Uh, as far as bow is concerned, uh, I'd say the good news is that when you talk to both sides, they still seem optimistic something's going to get done, and they want to get something done. It's just very quiet, which I think is not necessarily a bad thing. It just means they're working towards something. But it's not an easy deal to make either, because it's you look at bow, what he's looking for. It's a long term contract, a lot of moving parts, and yep. it's like okay, well, if you're going to give us a little bit in term. Are you giving? Are you gonna give us a bit more in signing bonus, more in trade protection, and all those sort of things? So I think there are a lot of things being discussed on Bo, but everything I hear on Bo is it's still on track of getting done, and I would expect it to get done. I, mean, I still think that season Bo is going to be signed before the NHL season begins. That seems to be the sense right now. It's always seemed like the obvious one, and it still does, right? Like this is um, an individual, a player that, from the management side and even ownership side, they love the guy. And it's something that you know Jim Rutherford has talked about pretty openly, saying he loves the way he plays. Now, there is a desire on both sides. The time pressure does not seem anywhere close to Miller on this one, mm. where there is certainty that this guy's going to be a part of the organization going forward for a number of years. Now, two things. I think when we talk about our personal expectations on a deal, not the organization, not the players, but yeah. when I think of this deal, there's two expectations I have. It gets done without any major delays, to your point. Yeah. The second one is... When you talk about giving term, there's an expectation that that comes with a annual average discount, right? Yeah. We've all talked about it. Who's more likely to take the discount? Yeah. Bo Horvat, he's mm-hmm. your captain. He wants to stay here. But what is that number? What is that term? If you're talking about a seven or eight year term, Sat, what does that number actually look like? And, you know, we generally talk about the overall number. And I, I talked to Richie about this last week as well, when we were talking about an ideal number for Bo Horvat. And Reach mentioned a six-year term. I don't believe there's any way in hell that happens. Well, six you can get him signed to six years, but it's hard to keep that number. That annual seven. average is going to be pretty high then. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it, it, I think the high end of where Vancouver would, Vancouver would want to go with Bo would be the Brock Besser type of money on an AAV. Brock Besser is about, what, 6.75-ish yep. or whatever it is for uh, for a three-year deal. For a longer-term deal, whether it's six years or something, I think that's the type of number, the higher end of the number, they would want to be looking at for Bo. But if you're Bo, you probably would be willing to sign for under seven, but you're saying, give me seven years, like to your point, give me eight years. And if Vancouver's reluctant to go six or seven with JT or go seven with JT, are they willing to go eight with Bo? Even though, yes, there's a two-year difference. You're still talking about signing Bo until he's 36, 37. If you're reluctant to do that with JT, why would you be willing to do that with Bo, for instance? So there's still a question of how willing will they be, Randeep, to even offer Bo a seven or eight year deal. So what is that number going to look like? I think is very, very fascinating. And if it's going to be less than seven, 
Vancouver's going to have to fork over a lot of trade protection, a lot of signing bonus money, I think. That's where I think those final two years, whether it's a seven-year term or an eight-year term, A, the salary breakdown. What would be the real money there? Do you make it a little bit easier on the back end, potentially? And B, that trade protection in the final two, three years. When you're signing your captain to a long-term deal, generally, generally you make it safe. You make it say, hey, you're part of the future. We're going to give you the full deal. Yeah. But as we know, as you get older and now in a cap world, you have to have some protections as a team. How much of a hard line will that be in negotiations? Yeah. It feels like it's going to be amicable on both sides. As you mentioned, as you started off saying, it seems like, hey, there's an understanding that it will happen at yeah. some point in time. But I do wonder about those final two or three years on that deal. What will the details be in terms yeah. of real money and trade protection? Because those are real issues as a player gets older. Look, yeah. at, look at what's happening with Blake Wheeler in Winnipeg right now. He's mm-hmm. making 8.25. Bo's not going to make that money. We, we all understand that. But there are some real limitations on what you can do with an aging player once their game drops off. Yeah. And you have to protect yourself on that. And that's why I look at the final two or three years of, of two or three years of this deal potentially and say, I really am going to be intrigued in the dollar makeup of it, but also the trade protection. Yeah. How, how do they build that sort of stuff out? Right. Because it's, it's going to show a lot about where their mind is when it comes to these types of contracts and how they commit to players. Anthony and White Rock to our Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox 65650. Uh, seems like Miller is back in Vancouver from his wife's IG. He might be in talks with the Canucks again. I'd say what that indicates is guys usually start coming back early to mid-August. It's August 8th. You know, this is around the time a lot of guys start coming back. You see Kuzmenko got on a plane. He's flying to Vancouver, it seems. Uh, I've heard of guys coming into Vancouver around this week. I know some guys are supposed to come in in a few days next week. This is around the time guys come back to Vancouver, get set up in their home, get their kids ready for school, for instance, and stuff like that, and they start practicing and skating. So uh, it's not out of the ordinary to start seeing guys come back in August, is what what I'm saying. No, they want to get into the rhythm. They want to get into that. You know, sometimes they're going to start skating with guys that are here locally as well. There's a yeah. lot of guys that are, you know, NHLers that I know in the past, a lot of BC boys will start skating with some mm-hmm. of the Canucks at, before they head out to their, their other teams as well. So you're going to see a lot of guys lot, out here. Yeah. yeah. You're going to see guys out, you know, depending on where they work out. Some of the guys work out with the Gallagher's out in, uh, in Delta as well. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of mishmash when it comes to Canucks and non-Canucks working out especially in the next couple of weeks here. That's a good point, Randy. Vancouver, because it's, you know, it's, it's a bigger market and everything, but it's a very central hockey hub. Where a lot of guys live here in the off-season, which means it's a great place to set up shop in August and get good skates in with NHL guys and compete with NHL guys and be, and be ready for the season because some places, it's not, it's not quite as good. So that's why in Vancouver, you see guys come in early, yep. whereas some other markets, guys come in maybe a couple of weeks before training camp because they have a better chance of getting better skates in being in different markets. I would say Vancouver and then obviously Kelowna because a lot of those guys are living out there and you have some, you know, a bit of a, a mix with some of the, the Canucks players like a Luke Shen and a Tyler Myers that live out there. But then, you know, those are two hubs here in this province where yeah. a lot of guys we know live out there in Kelowna as well and they get as many skates in as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I wouldn't read too much into that, but but that's the extent of the Canucks stuff. And I'd say the, the busiest, I'd say the, what the Canucks are most preoccupied with right now, Randy, more than anything else as an organization, is renovations at Rogers Arena. That, that is what they're most busy doing right now as an organization, is renovating Rogers Arena, especially when it comes to player um, uh, amenities, the dressing room and stuff like that. So that's what the Canucks are most busy with right now. But that wraps up your Canucks update. I've been gone for two and a half weeks. There people you go. asked for it. Randeep demanded it off the top, and, and there it is. I am here for the people, so I had to right. demand it right off the top <laughs> of the show. We got it in. We talked some Bo Horvat as well. Come in with your thoughts, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line as well. You know, ideally, what are we looking at? We got some uh, text coming in uh, on that contract. What 
you know, what would be that overall number? What would be that AAV? I think Dalvier came in saying, if you're giving that eight year, give him 6.1 or 6.2 million, which is, you know, 48 million or a little bit, just sub 50, basically. You're yeah. looking at that range, but I don't know, man. If I'm going eight years for Bo, I'm not, that AAV is going to be under six, man. If I'm doing an eight-year deal yeah. for Bo, that AAV better be under six. Okay, what's the total money that you'd be giving Bo Horvat overall? Like roughly 40-some million? So 47, 48, or even I, I mean, less than that? If you're asking me, and people know, like I, I am, yeah. I'm not the biggest Bo guy in terms of like thinking he's a star and thinking that he deserves a lot of money. I'm, I'm, I'm more on the lower end of what he should get paid, so... I'd say closer to the forty million range on a, yep. on a super long term deal than the forty five million range. That's just how I would view it. But if you're being realistic about it, the number is probably somewhere between forty and forty five. Wouldn't, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say on, on a seven eight year deal for Bo, who is going to be a center's Trocheck? What did Trocheck sign for? Yeah, almost forty million. Yeah, almost forty million, and he's a little bit older than Bo. So the thing I would say about that is, and I agree in the sense that I've been on the other side a little bit, saying, "Hey, this guy, you need him if you want to be competitive over the next three or four years." You're going to need a high-quality second-line center. But here's the issue. It's kind of that Rutherford quote of, you know when you sign a deal, you expect the first three, four years, especially at a certain age, to get the good aspect of that deal. And then on the back end, yeah, there might be some drop-off. Yeah. I think when we think of a Bo Horvat contract, we expect at some point he's going to transition to a third-line center. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a dollar figure that you have to be very careful when you're baking in the fact that at some point, that player is going to be a third-line center. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think normally you'd say, all right, six to eight, you know, six by eight or something, 48 million, some people might say. That might be fair. But here's the problem. If on the back end of that deal or after year four that you're assuming maybe he's going to be that third-line center, yeah. it's a lot of money to be tied into your third line. Well, and that's the thing. And, I, and that's why I'm not, a, I'm not big on giving Bo a huge long-term contract because I have questions about that. But if you're looking at the, the best comp- or the most comparable deal that was handed out this year, it was a Vinny Trocek contract. Vinny Trocek, 29 at the age of signing this contract. Bo is going to be 28 uh, when his new contract kicks in. So Vinny Trocek signed a seven-year deal worth $39.375 million. Comparable stats, too, for their careers. You know, both have hit 30 goals once, 31 for Bo, 31 for Trocek. You can you can call Bo a better player, and that's why, you know, whatever. But, but the point being, that's the range. On a seven-year deal, that's probably what you're looking at, somewhere around that money-wise. And, you know, that's, you know, it's a 5.625 AAV for Trocek on a seven-year deal. So if I'm doing above seven years, Randeep, I want the number to be under $6 million. Yeah. The one, and this is what it always comes back down to, though. What's that discount? We've yeah. been talking about it for a year. We've been talking about if he wants to stay, what is that discount? And that's what it really comes down to, Sat, is yeah. that's the unknown we don't know. You know, that's something that they have to negotiate with the agent. They have to negotiate with the player. Of We've all assumed there will be that discount. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The captain's discount. But we haven't seen it. No, we haven't seen it quite yet. All right, uh, that wraps up most of the Canucks stuff for today. As far as roster moves and stuff goes, Canucks have some prospects, though. Jonathan Lakaramaki, the first round pick this past year. Yanni Yormo, their first pick a couple of years ago in the third round, finished defenseman. And Jacob Truscott, a pick from a few years ago in later rounds, are all playing in the World Juniors, which are happening tomorrow because they got canceled uh, in wintertime due to the pandemic. So we'll talk to Chris Peters about Canucks prospects, the Ivan Halenka as well. And we'll also take a quick look at the 2023 NHL entry draft when local boy Connor Bedard is stealing hearts and, well, is making the minds of many fans wander and believe that maybe, just maybe, they'll be lucky enough to pick first overall in 2023. We'll discuss that and more right here on The People Show on Sportsnet 650.
Back in on the People Show, Satyar Shah with Randeep Janna. Get in touch with us on the Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox 650-650. We're going to hook up with Chris Peters, talk World Juniors, Canucks prospects that are playing in the tournament, and also take a look at the Helenka, which is going on, and the 2023 NHL Entry Draft. And we have a lot more coming up on the show as well. Don Taylor is going to stop by at 2.30. We'll get to the latest with the BC Lions, 6-1, Nathan Rourke going ham. Memory Hunt, NFL Talk coming up at one thirty plus much, much more here on the show. But Randeep with Chris coming up here. We're going to talk about Jonathan Lecari Mackey, the Canucks' 15th overall pick this year. Yanni Yormo, the third-round pick from a couple of years ago. And, and Jacob Truscott, who is also playing for Team USA. All three Canucks prospects at the World Juniors this year. That's right. And uh, when this tournament was organized before and it got shut down, there were zero Canucks prospects in it. Now, it's moved into the summer some progress for some of these guys, right? And Truscott is a, is a player that I'm curious to mm-hmm. pick, you know, Chris Peters' brand about because he does follow all leagues, but especially the the collegiate ranks there with Michigan. But when you start looking at some of these individuals and now they're going to get a, a chance in the spotlight. LeCarrie Mackey's a classic example where now he's been drafted by the Canucks. We talked about that shot, but that Swedish team, they've got five first-round picks on that team. Yeah. Like, there's going to be a really good Swedish team. We know Canada should be good as well. But how does LeCarrie Mackey, you know, feature on that team that should be pretty star-studded in their own right. Uh, a lot of skill guys on that team. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got, who has a late birthday as well. You're talking about a very young player playing for Team Sweden uh, at the World Juniors, which got cancelled during uh, winter time, of course, because of the pandemic, but is going on starting tomorrow in Edmonton, Alberta. Chris Peters, senior content creator for Flow Hockey, prospect analyst, now joins us here on the show. Chris, always a pleasure getting you on the show, man. How, how's summer been treating you? Uh, well, it's I don't know what that is. Like, <laughs> uh, we just had the draft. Right. No, exactly. I've got to go to Edmonton. What's, <laughs> what, is, what happened to this summer? No, I, it, it's been great. It's been great. We did get one week of vacation, and then it was right back to it. So I, I can't complain, though. I, I love this event. Well, and you know what? Uh, we always joke about Edmonton, but considering what happened with the with the tournament uh, during a Christmas time and get canceled, actually looking forward to go to Edmonton to check this one out? Uh, yeah, you know, I am. It's, I mean, I guess, first of all, it's Edmonton in August as opposed to December. Yes. So that is, it's not bad. That, it's pretty, pretty, it's actually downtown Edmonton's not bad during the summer. It's pretty. No, I know. And I, you know, I did the Holinka Gretzky Cup a few years ago back when it was there. Um, I didn't go this year because I was getting ready for this other, uh, other event uh, called the World Juniors, but yeah, so it's it's just crazy that uh, that we're here and we're you know we're basically getting into this high level tournament at this time of year when we'd normally just be kind of having our World Junior camps, our rookie camps, all these different things to get ready for the season. But here we go, uh, having this gigantic tournament right before the whole season begins. So it, it's going to be strange, but I think it's going to be really high level for you know what it is essentially. And I think the timing is honestly for, we were talking about this during the break. It's great to have hockey in the summer as well for, uh, I know for you, you don't maybe get the vacation that you were planning, but at the <laughs> same time, we are able to watch some high level hockey. And, and let's talk about the Canucks first round pick this year, Jonathan Lekaramaki, who was, you know, we talked to you the day after the draft about what kind of player the Canucks are getting. But at this tournament, what do you want to and expect to see from this player? Because he's on a star studded team there in Sweden. Yeah, you know, I think it's just finding his place in that group. You know, they're they're without William Eklund, and that's really the only key loss from their team in the in in the winter. So they do, they they have a lot of their players back. They didn't get hit as hard as some of the others, um, and then they were also able to have the benefit of having a Lakiramaki and and some of the other guys that 
are are you know better than they were at this point last season. They're at, at December last season. So for for me, I just want to see him find a spot on the on the roster. He's obviously one of the more skilled players. He's got such ability to make those around him better. You know, he did have experience in Sweden's top level last year, and then he was a dominant player at the World Under 18. So. You know, this shouldn't be a huge leap for him, uh, just in terms of how he's played to this point. So, you know, getting a chance, and then I, I think you might see him steadily move up the lineup. You know, I think that the, the coaching staff really likes what he can bring to this group. I think he's got an opportunity, you know, to be a scoring threat for them. You know, and I, I really do think that Sweden has a chance outside of Canada. I think they're the best team on paper. Um, and so, you know, and they, I, I mean, you can make a case that they're better. Um, it's just, you know, we'll have to wait and see as we, as we get through the tournament here, but, uh, obviously really looking forward to mm-hmm. seeing that group. But I think Lakaramaki is just it for him. It's all about, you know, just getting in there, making it, making a statement, just playing his game. If you play his game, you know, that's, that's a high scoring game. That's a pretty mm-hmm. good game to play. So. I think he's going to make this team better for sure. This tournament is a bit of an anomaly because we don't get the World Juniors in August the way it's set up this way. And he just turned 18, but it says quite a bit, doesn't it, that that a kid who just turned 18 makes a star-studded, like Randeep said, Team Sweden roster for the World Juniors. Yeah, absolutely it does. You know, I I think that the the timing of this really does kind of throw our, our... everything out of whack in terms of, you know, a lot of really good players from the last draft did not make their national teams. And it's more because they, they weren't really in the mix. They're still underagers for this, for this team. So for him to make this roster and to be a guy that I think could potentially play a significant role on the roster, that does say a lot about where he's at. and also says a lot about where this Swedish roster is at because they've got, they've got all those guys and he they still wanted to bring him in. You know, they, they, I think they probably had to make some cuts essentially to, to work him in um, to this roster. So it just says a lot about, you know, what he's done so far. Um, and then, you know, he, he got sick at the end of last season too. So for him to come back so strong at the under 18s and make the statement that he did, I mean, it's, it's just really impressive to see kind of how he's rolled with the punches and how he's continued to get better over these last, uh, the last season plus. Well, another Canucks prospect that's made their team as well as uh, Jacob Trescott for Team USA. He's kind of like the forgotten prospect where you you kind of forget that he's in the system. Uh, he's 20 years old now. You watch a lot of Michigan hockey. Uh, what's he look like? And, you know, the fact that he's on this team with Luke Hughes and Brock Faber and other defensemen, what should Canucks fans take from that? Yeah, so, you know, USA was really only looking to replace two defensemen, Scott Morrow and, and Jake Sanderson. Obviously, you know, Jacob Trescott made his case to be part of this team. And, and, and I think that, you know, his second half of last season, much the same as Luke Hughes's, was so good. You know, I, I mean, he really, he was able to show that he can defend, he can get up in the play, he could, you know, protect Hughes a little bit as well in terms of, you know, when Luke is, is going in and, and trying to, you know, get up the ice, they've got a guy back that can, you know, can really handle himself in his own end. And you know, he's probably going to be a little bit down the lineup. I'm not necessarily certain that he'll play a ton with Luke in this in this event. We there were a couple of uh, pre-tournament games that I wasn't able to see, so I wasn't sure exactly how they were were using um, him. But you know, the fact that he's here at this point um, says a lot about kind of where his his game has grown. Now he's not super flashy. He's not going to do a ton of things to get you out of your seat. But what he what he will do is you know make the simple plays and and, and make the smart plays. And I think that's why he's on this roster. He's somebody they can trust. And you know it, they they've got eight defensemen with them. Somebody's going to have to sit out. Don't necessarily know exactly who that's going to be yet. Um, but to be here after not being there in the winter and the fact that, 
you know, the two guys that they had are, are really good, but but you're still the two guys that they had that aren't going to be there this year. But, you know, you were viewed as a guy that could kind of step in. Um, I do think that says a lot about where he's at and, and how his game has grown over the last year. Well, and, you know, this team, uh, you know, Team USA, we've seen them have really talented rosters in the back end, of course, I mean, led by uh, guys like uh, Luke Hughes and Brock Faber, of course. But even up front, they have a couple of 2023 draft eligibles that are playing in this tournament. Charlie Strammel and Hunter McCown. I mean, how talented are these kids that they're going to be on this roster? Yeah, well, you know, McCown is, he's, he's a late, uh, he's, he's been passed over a couple of times. Um, so that's why he's still eligible, but he is, he, he, the fact that he's here is, is very interesting. You know, I think he, he looked like kind of like a bubble guy, but he played, had a very strong season at Colorado college last year. Um, so, you know, I do think that there's still a chance that he's going to get drafted. He's not, you know, he's going to be down the lineup. He's not going to play a ton probably, but he's going to be interesting to watch. Charlie Strammel, on the other hand, is you know, a late 4 and he lost half of his season last year. He, he actually was one of the better players at the summer World Junior Camp last year, so he was pretty much a lock to make the World Junior team. Then he had to have surgery and missed a, a portion of the season. But he's, a, he's, he's built like a linebacker, so he's like 6'3", 220, and he can fly. And, and he's got a really good shot. And I think, you know, last season it looked like he might have lost the step, so we're still waiting to see if he can recover his full speed from what he had before the surgery. But as long as he does, I mean, he's got an opportunity to be a top-ten pick in this upcoming draft just because he is so big, he's so quick, he has scoring ability. I mean, you know, he kind of <laughs> – watching him play as a an underager at the World Under-18s a couple of years ago, that was the first time I had a chance to see him live. And just watching people bounce off of him, it just reminded me so much of Dustin Puplin, um when people were trying to hit him and he just shake him off. And, you know, that's kind of what Charlie Stramel can do. So he's definitely a guy that you want to watch because he, he could be, you know, a top 20 pick in this upcoming draft, possibly even a top 10. Um, and he's, he's headed to the University of Wisconsin next season. So a, a big opportunity for him in this tournament to get his draft season off on the right foot. Uh, in conversation with Chris Peters, senior content creator for Flow Hockey here on the People Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, the other Canucks prospect we, we wanted to ask you about is defenseman Yanni Yormo, who was the first pick uh, back in 2020 in the third round for the Canucks. They did not have a first or second round pick that year. Yanni Yormo is kind of, as far as evaluation goes, the past couple of years maybe didn't go the way he wanted, but but, you know, now in his age 20 year, he cracks the Finland roster. What, what do you make of him getting a chance here at this stage? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a big compliment to, to make this Finnish team because I do think they have a chance, you know, to, to be one of the, the teams that contends for a medal here. And, you know, he, he's one of those guys where, you know, you, you watch him and, and I think you can see the flashes. You can see some of the elements of his game that you would expect will translate eventually. And, you know, I think it's just a matter of getting more time, more development, more experience, and, and to be in an event like this to really you know, measure up against everybody else. I mean, this could be a big opportunity for him to kind of take that next step. So, you know, is he, a, is he an exceptional prospect? Not really, but, I mean, he's certainly a guy that can help you um, and will help this Finnish team uh, just, you know, basically as, as more of that kind of depth, depth guy. He's not going to be – I, unless he surprises us, I don't think he's going to be, you know, a star, star caliber contributor, but to be a part of this group and to have a team that, you know, I thought they looked really good before the tournament was canceled. Um, you know, I think they really have a chance in this event as long as they get the goaltending and 
think they have a really good back end, and Yermo is going to be a part of that. Yeah, in regards to Yermo as well, a development camp here in Vancouver, looked confident. He looked like he was, you know, maybe a little, taking strides compared to previous years. But then again, a lot of those players he was playing against, a little bit younger as well. How does he match up against his peers at that same level is something that I'm looking forward to. All right, we were talking about the World Juniors. We want to talk some Holinka Gretzky Cup with you as well. Canada ends up beating Sweden in the final. But were there any standouts that you're looking at and saying, all right, that 2023 draft class, uh, we know about the Connor Bedards of the world, but was there anybody else that kind of uh, really raised the interest uh, in this past tournament for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, every year it's such a great baseline. You know, I think that's the real bet benefit of the, the Holinka Gretzky Cup is that it, it just gives you uh, a first look as, as far as how this season is going to go. And I think, you know, what we knew coming into that tournament was that Canada was probably going to dominate it and probably going to win it easily, and they did. And that's, you know, partially because the, the, the tournament field is a little bit weaker when you don't have Russia and you don't have the top U.S. players. Um, but Sweden and Finland brought very strong teams to that event, and they handled them pretty easily. So, you know, I think this Canadian group in particular is going to be very good. You saw Brandon Yeager, or Braden Yeager, um, from Moose Jaw, who I, you know, I think he's a sensational player, has a chance to be a top 10 pick was one of the top scorers for Canada, just creates, makes a lot of plays, plays with good pace. I mean, there's just a lot to like about his game. Um, but then, you know, you see Callum Ritchie with his size and strength and then having good hand skills and the ability to finish and leading the tournament and scoring. Um, really strong event for him. Scott Raslaff, the goaltender, I think, you know, we were kind of wondering what that was going to look like. He only allows two goals throughout the entire tournament. So uh, that's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, and I think you know, Cameron Allen is another one, the defenseman for, for Team Canada, the, the captain of the team, and just a real steady guy. I think he's probably the odds-on favorite to, at least at this point, it's still early, to be the number one defenseman pick. So, I mean, a lot of talent there, I think, also as you're looking at the other countries. Edward Schala uh, from the Czech Republic, here, Czechia. Uh, I think he's got a top 15 potential. Saw him at the under-18 Worlds, thought he was great there, and then he just goes ahead and shows even when he's the guy that everybody's keying on, he can still contribute and just great sense of timing and space and, and, and anticipation. And then uh, Sweden has several guys. I think Otto Stenberg really stood out. He was the top scorer outside of uh, uh, top scorer outside of Canada. Um, you know, good two-way center, a guy that can make a lot of plays and has a, a high-level shot. So, yeah, I, mean, I would say overall, in general, we got a pretty good, uh, pretty good look at some of the top players in this class. So I, I, I really like what I saw there. Naturally, here in Vancouver, we're looking at right shot D because that's the gap within the organization here in Vancouver. But you know, you mentioned Cameron Allen uh, as one player, but another one that I looked at doesn't maybe have the offensive upside of a Cameron Allen, but Dylan McKinnon, uh, a little bit bigger, right shot D. Uh, not much offense there at this point in his, uh, his young career. But what did you see from his game? Yeah, you know, it just stead- he was steady. He, he, you know, I think that entire can- Canadian blue corps, or blue corps, blue line was uh, was really good. And um, you know, I think that he was one of those guys where it's just you know, can you get the puck up the ice? Yes, he could. Can you get? To, can you make that good first pass? Yes, he could. You know, you're, those are the things that you're kind of looking at and saying, all right, if you're not going to do this or that, what else can you do? And I think he he has a good base of skills. And you know, for for a lot of these guys. We have to remember, too, and, and this isn't necessarily the case with McKinnon, but some of the other guys as well, that, you know, there was limited action, you know, in, in the year prior. So a lot of these guys were coming in colder with, you know, few games or they maybe had to go to Europe or something. 
you know, so they're still trying to, to, to collect their games and, and, and take it to that next level. But I think what we saw with a lot of those Canadian kids um, and, and, you know, McKinnon and everyone else is that they're ready to take that next step. I think that's probably the most encouraging sign. And it, it says to me that, hey, we might actually get a normal draft season this year as opposed to the last few where we've been trying to piece together exactly how much stock we can put into half seasons and miss seasons and whatever else. So I think seeing this this year's Holinka Gretzky Cup allowed us to see mm-hmm. that we might actually have a regular draft season for once, and, and I really can't wait for that. Yeah, uh, you and all of us here, I've been talking to you <laughs> and, and, and listening, we'd love to see a normal year. Now, before we let you go, we'd be, we, 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 we would be remiss if we did not ask you about Connor Bedard, especially when we're talking about the 2023 NHL entry draft. We'll be playing for Team Canada at the World Juniors. How dominant a performance of the juniors and also how dominant a year should we expect from the kid? Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, I, I would anticipate, you know, record-setting year. You know, I mean, the way that he played last year it was already kind of a record-setting situation with how, how good he was um, at the at the under-18 world, at the, the Palenka, or sorry, at the uh, the World Juniors before it got canceled. I mean, it was, it was incredible to watch. And there are very few players in the game that, know how to score the way that Connor Bedard scores. It's all about, you know, he's got one of the great shots. He can score from anywhere. He can score off the rush. And the fact that he can score off the rush, he just doesn't shoot to shoot. He He's shooting to score every single time, and he's always picking the corners. And, you know, goalies will think they have them, and, and they just don't. And and so that's pretty remarkable. The things that we need to see from Connor Bedard, it's less from a point production standpoint, and now it's going to be more from a development standpoint. He does need to get a little bit more straight line speed. I'd like to see him try to, you know, improve that straight line speed a little bit more to give him a bit more of an advantage. He doesn't burn like a McDavid. But, you know, I also think that at his size, he's going to need to have stronger lower body strength. He's going to have to battle a little bit more. Um, And he probably won't be challenged in that way at the WHL level um, defensively. So it's going to be more on him to just continue his physical uh, his physical development, the maturity is there, the hockey intelligence is there, the, the puck skills, the shot, all of that is there. Now he just needs to continue improving a few extra elements of his game, and that's going to go a long way towards not just making him a number one pick, but ready to jump into the NHL the following season. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for anyone to catch him, as people did with Shane Wright last year. But at the same time, there are still elements of his game that he's going to need to improve just in order to be what we think he can be because uh, no question about it. He's one of the elite offensive talents that we've seen. Uh, Chris, always a pleasure getting you on the show, man. Great insight as always. Make sure to check out his stuff at senior, uh, senior, senior content creator for flow hockey. Always a pleasure, man. And we'll, we'll talk to you from Edmonton as well, hopefully. All right. Sounds great guys. Thanks for having me. That is Chris Peter. Some good insight into uh, connects prospects and also uh, the 2023 NHL uh, entry draft, the world juniors, but man, Connor Bedard and how special that kid is. Yeah, he already dropped 162 games last year. It's like, all right, what can yeah. you do next, kid? Draft eligible year. Uh, we know he's special. He's from North Van. But it feels like, you know, when your draft year comes up, that spotlight is yeah. on you times 10. Mm-hmm. And he got he got love last year. But this year, it's going to be intense. It is. This year is when all the cameras are shifting in. Shane Wright, yeah, he's, he's an NHL property now. Mm-hmm. You know? Logan Cooley, they're NHL properties. All those cameras are going to be in Connor Bedard. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to watching him more consistently as well and seeing how special he can be. Yeah, I mean, just turned 17 this past July, and 
I mean, one thing I'm curious about too is seeing how much he grows over the next year. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, like he, I don't think this is affecting his draft status because he's five foot nine now and still slated to go first overall. And we saw guys that are as good as him and Patrick Kane. They still go high. They still go first overall and everything. But it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see just as far as his makeup goes. Like, does it grow another inch or two as well over the next year? Yeah. And whether we believe it or not, you know, there's a lot of people in the evaluation game that say, "Oh, player's six foot." Just adds a little bit to the resume, yeah. right? Like whether that's right or wrong, that's kind of a thing, especially for defensemen. We know once they hit in that six foot, yeah. six foot one range, you're saying, okay, size is not an issue anymore. But I think with players, we see that with forwards as well, where if you can kind of crest that six foot range, it just adds a little bit more. I don't think Connor Bedard needs any more, you know, on his resume. The guy's a prodigy. The guy's supposed to be the next coming of uh, of great players in the NHL, but. I'm sure, like any scout would say, it doesn't hurt when you mm-hmm. when you surpass six foot if you can do that. Yeah, and I mean, absolutely. And, you know, it's going to add a big, big factor if that happens. If not, he still probably ends up going first overall and might be a generational type of talent uh, in the draft coming up in 2023. Now, uh, before we get out, just just wrapping it up on Canucks prospects, you know, Jacob Truscott and Yanni Yormo, guys that were drafted a couple of years ago, uh, both are, you know, essentially 20-year-olds at this stage, still find a way to make this hockey team uh, for Team USA, Truscott on the back end, also for Team Finland, for Yanni Yormo on the back end. I'm not expecting Truscott to play a lot, but Yormo is interesting because the question's always kind of been about he's got talent, he's big, he can skate well, and I know you got a scouting assessment on him having had a chance to watch him a bit too, Randy. The question always came down to can he put it together as far as his hockey sense and the, you know, the toolbox goes. If he's getting close to doing that, he becomes an intriguing player long-term, potentially. Yeah, this is a player that you know missed out on the World Juniors two times before this as well. So he had that disappointment. Third time around, he gets that opportunity. But, you know, limited sample size. But with development camp, he just looked confident. Where, whether it was on the defensive side of things, which was something, you know, was a bit of a question mark. Offensively, he was making strong plays. He had that vision. He was a little playmaking as well. So I think... Looking at him this year at, at development camp, you're just in are more confident. And does that translate to the World Juniors? One thing in a, in a smaller sample size in a development camp when you're having scrimmages is one thing. But can you, can you put it together over a, a couple-week tournament with you know, players that are in your own age range more consistently? I, like, that's what I'm looking forward to. So I think with Truscott, you're right. He's not going to play very much. He's going to not have that same role as he does at Michigan with Luke Hughes. Probably mm-hmm. play somewhere else. But Yoni Yermo is kind of the guy that People were saying, oh, yeah, forgot about this guy. And he comes out of development camp, has a good couple of days. Yeah. How do you follow it up, though? Well, and that's the thing. But he did play in, in the SM League of this yep. past year, played 52 games. And, and uh, not eye-popping numbers, but asking around a little bit, some of the things that people liked was he, he was better, more dependable. You know, now the question is, how do you put, you know, your physical gifts with it as well? Can you become a better player? But some promise as far as Yanni Yermo goes and Jacob Truscott, both guys are dr- drafted a few years ago in the later rounds and have found a way to play at the World Juniors, which gets going tomorrow in Edmonton. And we'll keep talking about that as the next couple of weeks go. A lot more coming up here on the People's Show. We talk a bit of hockey in the first hour, but we have some NFL talk coming up at 1.30. Emery Hunt is going to drop by. Don Taylor at 2.30 is dropping by as well. And, well, the BC Lions, red hot, 6-1 in the season. Nathan Rourke lighting the CFL up. We'll talk about that and more as the People's Show goes on right here on Sportsnet 650.